the company is not getting any data about their software. So they're asking the wrong question, right? They shouldn't be asking, how happy are you with our rep? Yeah, that's fine and good. Ask that. But the other question is, is there something we should know? Is there like a conversation we should be having, other comments, things like that? Um, if you sell enterprise level products, the questions, and I didn't come up with all these, some of my, I've, I've borrowed some of these from some of my friends, but this is one that I absolutely love. And that is the question when you talk to somebody, say, if, if you're selling a marketing. Yo, this is Christian D. Evans with Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to our amazing podcast. This is where we reveal the top 1% of business concepts and systems and processes to scale eight and nine figure businesses. We interview top level eight and nine figure CEOs, business owners, and amazing TEDx speakers like David Meltzer. We got Nick Cavuto, Pascal Bachman, and so many others. And if you feel like this resonates with you, please share this with your friend, your family, and make sure you impact them as well because we're trying to spread the message on those that do not know how to scale eight, nine figure businesses and talking higher level business concepts. So guys, remember, enjoy the episode and be uncommon if you can. Cheers. Thank you so much for tuning in to Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. I'm your host, Christian D. Evans. Who wants to be a millionaire? That's the person we got on today because guess what? He wants to achieve and help you become. That is one of his goals, to making 250 entrepreneurs become millionaires within five years of starting their business. How? By leveraging his morebusiness.com. Now, he has had an incredible amount of experience. He had B2B SaaS executive and advisor, three-time CEO, and multiple exits. Please welcome my next guest. And guys, you will want to wait and enjoy this whole episode. So definitely do not skip, do not press, you know, just make sure you want to consume every bit of what this guy's going to talk about. My guest, Raj Kara. How are you doing today, Raj? Hey, Christian. Thank you so much. Boy, I certainly hope I live up to the expectations that you just set right now. But thank you very much for that warm introduction. Well, definitely, of course, and I'm really excited about unpacking this because you definitely do have an incredible, immense knowledge. Uh, just coming from like, you know, start to build up to obviously building that foundation, having three exits uh, in your lifetime, but also, uh, you know, building what you have now and your passion project, which we will dive into. But before we dive into that, um, you know, I, I like to unpack a little bit of the SaaS world. Okay. Software is, it's an interesting, interesting world. Okay. Some of our listeners are in that situation where they're, you know, trying to gain money, uh, investors to be able to keep the, the, the boat afloat. Uh, they get it long-term, but a lot of times it takes a lot of money to build the infrastructure out first and they love the monthly reoccurring. They love the margins, but obviously there's a lot more to it. And so if you could maybe just unpack kind of your story of how you got to, you know, nothing to three exits. You know, Christian, I got to tell you the the biggest thing you got to do is just be as scrappy as possible. I mean, you try to find help wherever you can. You try to find marketing, partnerships, barter deals, everything. It's a lot easier actually right now to start a company than it was when I did it. So before, like, you know, late 90s, mid 90s, even early 2000s, you had to build your own infrastructure. So I was literally getting leases for, you know, for me, it was a lot of money, $100,000, $200,000 leases to buy equipment to get, you know, these data centers set up and so on. And, uh, and then you'd build your product on top of all of that, then start to sell it, hoping with your fingers crossed that you're going to get enough customers so that you can pay that money back on the lease and make your payments and so on. It's a lot. It's a lot to structure. Uh, but nowadays with uh, things like AWS and other tools, other platforms that are out there, you can actually build 
uh, software as a service businesses uh, significantly cheaper. So you need to have you know, a good idea, a good product market fit. And that is the number one thing that I think people lack is a tight product market fit. Uh, and there's lots of ways to figure that out. And then you can start get, you know, getting subscription sales to it. But there's so much you got to do inside there to really just keep tuned into what the what people are going to be willing to pay for and what your competitors are doing too. So, yeah. Well, that's what's so interesting to me and what I'm finding a little bit in, in today's world, because like I was saying, they all love the monthly recurring. Hey, you know what? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if I get 10,000 people, 100 bucks, 200 bucks, oh my gosh, like they just, they love the, the that aspect. Um, now, when you're doing this, and like you said, you're leveraging a lot of other systems um, that you don't have to build infrastructurally, right? The infrastructure is there already established, right. and that's what's so cool about it, right? Uh, yes. And that's what you're basically saying is how you were able to scale. Now, when you did you did you um, raise a lot of capital, and and if you did, where did you where did you invest it? Yeah, so the, actually the very first company I built was called GovCon. It was a portal for government contractors to find bidding opportunities. This is before the government started putting all this stuff online. And so I went out, uh, I found a partner to, to work with me. And uh, he actually was an angel investor. So he put in about $100,000 into the company. And we used some of the money to acquire data. And then, you know, I, I had some marketing talent engineer. I'm, I'm an engineer by training. Uh, my partner had some engineering uh, experience, uh, uh, a lot more than me, actually. And then we built this software that allowed people to look up all this information. Now, what you what you want to do, though, is really think through what you're building and if people will buy it before you actually do it. So the way I, if I had to restart everything today, what I would do is, quite frankly, I would just put stuff into a PowerPoint, mock-ups, and start showing it to people who would be my potential clients and say, would you buy this? So uh, I attended a lecture a long time ago and the former VP of marketing for Harley Davidson had one of the best lines. And I remember this today, to, it's for product market fit. Harley Davidson used to go out and allow people to test drive some of their motorcycles. And when they'd come back from that test drive, they would say one question and then they would stop and just listen. That question was, what would you change to make you want to buy it? And that's it. And then they would just simply listen. So that's what I would do. I would actually create mock-ups, uh, prototypes, not build out the whole thing because that's very expensive. And then just go to potential customer and say, what would you change to make you want to buy it? And we did this one time when I thought I would, I would pursue a new angle for our business. I, so I, one of my other businesses was an email marketing software product. And I thought, logically, people who are doing email marketing might also want to do text marketing. So I thought. So we started talking to some customers about this, and it looked like it would be a really good idea. And then we asked that question, well, what would you change to make you want to buy it? And it turned out the price points that people were willing to pay for the service were so low compared to what we had to charge because of the infrastructure costs that it made absolutely no financial sense to pursue it. So we did not build the entire thing out. Thankfully, we did this research ahead of time, probably saved a couple of hundred thousand dollars that would have just thrown away because we wouldn't have been able to sell the product. So, um, so, so yeah, I think market research really, really key right now. Well, that's what I find so interesting. And, and I appreciate you bringing this up uh, and being transparent with that because I've noticed a lot of people, they, they assume, and definitely when you even get it, like less and less involved with a day-to-day customer, right? As you start running like a mid seven figure, right? You're not always hands-on. You're not always on those sales phone calls. You're not always seeing those customer support, you know, tickets and so forth. And so it's easy to just say, oh, this is definitely what they want. This is their natural, you know, evolution of the product and fulfillment. Okay, this is, and you spend all that time and trajectory and investment of, of, of resources going down that path and you realize, Oh no, right? We've seen that numerous, numerous times. So 
what you're basically saying is you went out there and you did a lot of data research and you unpacked a lot of information then you identified their pain, what their next thing that they want, and you just went out there and created it very effectively and quickly and then gave it to them. Now, let me ask you, because in the software side, a lot of it, depending upon, you know, it's, it's hard to decommoditize yourself as a software sometimes. And then as well as you always want to upsell them on something else, right? And so I'd love to kind of talk a little bit about that, decreasing the churn rate, okay, as well as, you know, how do you do decommoditize yourself from everyone else? Yeah, yeah, that's a, a great point because making sure your churn is as low as possible is critical. And and just to touch on that point, let me just sh share one concept here that it was really important when I grasped this is if you have let's say ten percent churn, which means you've got a ninety percent retention rate, uh, and then you've got another company that's got twenty percent churn, eighty percent retention rate. That means that if somebody put money into your company, if they invested in it or whatever cash you'd have to have. The person, the, the company's got an 80% retention rate needs to just increase 20% to break even from the previous year. Whereas if you took the same amount of investment and you put it in the company that's got a 90% retention rate, they're actually growing at 10%, right? Because that 20% growth would actually be 110%. So just by that means that if an investor put money into a company that just had a higher retention rate, they're going to have a better return on investment, which means your company is worth more money. So when you exit, you can actually sell it for a much higher multiple simply by getting a lower return, uh, lower um, churn rate. So the way you do that is you just continuously educate your clients on case studies, use cases, um, tons of educational marketing, regular webinars on new features, uh, constantly be, be touching them. What happens many times in SaaS businesses is they get a customer and that's kind of it. Hey, great, thank you. Now you're on to the next sale. And they forget about nurturing that customer. So in one of my businesses, we were able to take accounts that were, they were maybe $5,000 a year and turn them into 50, 80,000, $100,000 a year accounts just because we paid so much attention in making sure that those accounts were successful through educating them with additional use cases. Hey, did you know you could do this? Hey, did you know one of our customers did this? One of our other customers did this. And so you just keep talking to them about this and just touch base with them regularly. And that really helps uh, build that relationship, keep it strong. And, and you really need to ask some penetrating questions too to your, your customers to make sure that they're really happy with you. Um, and then they can start expanding. Now that is a brilliant, beautiful, beautiful way of doing it because that's that's where you inquire stickiness, right? Because mm -hmm. one of the things I was reading a book about is like once once someone gets familiar with like I mean you think about your phone, right? And a lot of times you don't change phones or like change like hey from Anchor to you know uh, excuse me um you know Android to Apple or vice versa because you're familiar with the software. You like yeah. it's a stickiness. Now I'm familiar with it, and everybody loves comfort, right? Of mm -hmm. of consistency, and so like you said by giving them opportunity to understand how they could customize this XYZ product into their company and leveraging it different ways. They're like, oh, that's awesome. But also at the end of the day, they generate more revenue or generate X result, whatever they're looking for. Um, and just like you said, leveraging your product, which now they're a lifetime value customer. Now, however, though, you as the CEO, that wouldn't be your positioning. Would that be more of the customer service kind of thing? Or would that be more of sales follow-up and integrating that kind process or what would that look like yeah well you know look as a ceo you like everything stops with you so if something something's going wrong it's your fault <laughs> sorry it's not anybody else's thing it is your fault you're the one that you've got to coach your team to be able to listen so one thing that i used to do is i used to hop on customer calls 
And they wouldn't know they're talking to the CEO. I would just answer it as if I was one of the customer support reps. And I would just listen. And I would do this like, you know, just every now and then once, once or twice a month, just so that I could stay tuned in. I would also talk to my customer support teams and I would ask them things like, well, what did you hear today? What are customers saying? What kind of support questions are you getting? Of course, we had all the logs, you know, we could see our, our, our uh, support cues, you know, were the most common types of questions. So we looked at that, but, but just having conversations with my team, that was one of the most valuable things that I encountered. I will share a story here. And this one, I think everybody can relate to. This is actually about a restaurant. It has nothing to do with software. I went to a restaurant. Now I'm a big fan of chicken burgers. I love grilled chicken burgers, right? I went to this restaurant and they had a big burger menu. And I just, oh, I'd love this California chicken burger, but could you just replace it with chicken? Oh, sorry, sir. We don't do that. I said, well, you got other chicken, grilled chicken options. Can you just like swap it out? Oh, I'm sorry. We hear this request a lot, sir. We're not, we just don't do that. Our management said, these are our options. And I'm thinking to myself, this restaurant's going to go out of business. Not because they don't offer, they have the burger. They're just not listening to their customers, right? All they got to do is listen. And so that's what I, I used to do. And I recommend everybody do this. Don't just force fit what you think are the right offerings to your customer base. Because if you hear something repeatedly, your customer support, they're the, they're the ones that they're on, they're on the front line. They're the ones listening to what the customers are saying. Just say, hey, what did you hear from our customers today? What are they asking for that we haven't yet created? And you will, you will un uncover so many new opportunities just by that simple conversation. And it's really interesting. And I'm so glad you mentioned that. So let me ask you, what during like maybe having the customer success or just like a follow-up, whatever, um, because so many people I've seen, and I'm guilty of this, try to automate that process and say, hey, how satisfied are you? Or like doing some sort of survey or something. And you just don't get many responses. But when mm -hmm. you are jump, you know, when you build a relationship with them and it takes time, right? Maybe you have 1500 customers, maybe you have 10,000 customers and it's hard. But at the end of the day, like you said, the data is there and it's available for you if you're willing to do the work. So what to optimize that time with them, Right. There are certain I, I truly believe there are certain questions that you could facilitate to get the best response and the best um, best kind of like data from those clients. So do you have maybe like one or two or maybe three questions that you consistently ask that brought in just remarkable amount? And just like you said, uh, like obviously um, that one example uh, that you gave, which is awesome. Do you have maybe like two other examples that you would suggest? Yeah, actually, I have several. And I just want to comment on what you said, because, boy, that is so accurate when people ask questions, they try to do it in an automated way. And Christian, you must have seen this too, right? Like in some point, at some point you're, you're talking to a vendor and you're saying, hey, can your software do this? Can your software do that? And the poor rep on the other end is just stuck saying, oh no, I'm sorry, this is, our software doesn't do this and everything. And what is the survey? How happy were you with our rep? right? It is completely irrelevant to what you're trying to solve. So your answer is like, gosh, well, what do I say? That rep was actually very nice. They were very polite. So yeah, I'm happy with the rep, but this, the company is not getting any data about their software. So they're asking the wrong question, right? They shouldn't be asking, how happy are you with our rep? Yeah, that's fine and good. Ask that. But the other question is, is there something we should know? Is there like a conversation we should be having other comments, things like that? Um, if you sell enterprise level products, the questions, and I didn't come up with all these, some of my, I've, I've borrowed some of these from some of my friends, but this is one that I absolutely love. And that is the question when you talk to somebody, say, if, if you're selling a marketing product, let's say, for example, hey, if I took away all of your marketing products that you have in your tech stack, which one would you beg me to put back? That really gets to the heart of, are you a priority for them or not? 
I, one of my companies, we used to sell data services. And so we knew clients would buy ours and sometimes a couple other data services too. And so we would ask them a similar question. Hey, in our, in your, your stack of all the data providers, where would, where would you rank us in, on the scale of one to 10? And they would tell us sometimes we'd be down like seven or eight, not, not even like up there on the one. It's hard to hear. It is hard to hear that stuff, but you have to listen to it. Right. And that's the only way you can improve your product. So that's one, like figure out where you stand with your customers. Um, other ones that, the, that we would ask consistently, especially we started to iterate through our uh, product um, feature lineup was that one question I mentioned that uh, the guy from Harley Davidson told me, what would you change that would make you want to buy it? And then I would just do that. I would cover my mouth as hard as I could. I'd cover my mouth and resist the urge to say, here you go. There's another thing you can do too, especially with software companies. So there are these tools out there um, uh, hot jars one clicktails one they actually can record uh, the screen interactions uh, automatically and you can just go back and watch them and i remember one time we were trying to figure out how do we increase our trial signups so we put this recording thing on there and, and i would just sit there with my team we'd look at all these recordings and i'm watching people try to sign up for our software and i'm like pulling my hair out because i'm thinking the button is right there it is right there just click it i'm talking to a recording right and they can't hear me i'm talking to this recording and and i'm just so frustrated so i realized oh gosh we're seeing the same pattern over and over again we're asking somebody to fill out first name then last name and then put in something and what would happen is on the first name field people will fill out both first and last names they get to the next field and they like back up the first field and they just drop. After a while, it's like too much work simply by asking for first and last names as separate fields. So we just did something super simple. We combined the name, end, name and email. Next thing you know, the next day, Christian, the next day, 12% increase in signups. Simple stuff, simple stuff. So, well, see, I just, I thank you so much for just being authentic and sharing that because it's so funny of how so many people that I've seen, it's like, it's those small incremental changes. Like, how do I scale a seven figure to eight figure, right? Eight figure to nine figure. It's just such small incremental changes that nobody else will notice, but you do, right? Just like yeah. you said, it went from maybe a 20% opt-in rate to all of a sudden a 32% opt-in rate. Yeah. Well, that's a huge difference. Huge massive, difference. Massive. I got another story. I tell you, and this one, this one was painful. <laughs> so like we had, so we had 70,000 customers in one of my businesses. Uh, that's a lot to manage, right? You're, you know, I'm not talking to all these customers, but I did know my like some of the really top customers because they were a high source of revenue for us and i noticed that one of them dropped i was like oh my god why did we lose this account so i called them up and said i'm really sorry to see you go we didn't even know you were unhappy uh who did you go to and they went to our competitor mailchimp which was like up and coming really running fast i said well we got the same basic set of features why did you switch to them and they said oh they're actually more fun to use what what do you mean they're more fun to use? They said, well, so if I get a really high open rate on my emails, they'll give me some little note that's saying, you did a great job. You deserve a raise. That was in their software. It was nothing that we had thought about, but it's something completely intangible. It's a human touch. And they switched for that. I would never have known unless I picked up the phone and called them up. Um, so that's, you know, little things like that you learn, but you, you really just got to stay really tuned into why people are changing. Um, and then, you know, see if you can lure them back. We, we couldn't lure this particular customer back, but I, wow, that was an eye opener. So, so and, and I love that because that's gamification, right? That's the stickiness. They love the yeah. gamification aspect and, and, yep. and the personality. Um, what, 
um, I've, I've heard like, because the margins, depending upon what software you have, I've heard sometimes the margins are pretty tight, definitely going from startup. So uh, when you were, when you had capital, um, where did you flood it to? Um, was it like always acquisition or was it a lot of times more of hiring uh, and structure and stuff like that? Or uh, I would imagine probably depended upon each stage. And if that's the case, it kind of walk us through that timeline. Yeah. So the very first thing is you got to get your product market fit down. So you got to keep iterating on the product. So that's where we stuck most of the money. Once you get product market fit, sales kind of become, well, not kind of, they do become significantly easier because you know your product really well. I think there's a really wonderful Peter Drucker quote, something about, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to totally mess this quote up. <laughs> it was something about a product, like uh, um, marketing is is when you're, you're, you know, your product, uh, your, your customer so well that the product sells itself. And so, um, so that's really where you want to get to. And you got to keep iterating until you get there. And a lot of times people will just build it and then stop. And then just like, they just do marketing and they don't reinvest back into the product. And that's when other people can take over. So the first stage was really getting product market fit right. And then the next stage was heavy on marketing. And so um, uh, my earlier SaaS businesses were uh, low cost. So they were not really like, we couldn't afford to do high touch, like having a sales rep to do enterprise sales. Uh, we eventually got there for some, but like the initial like business, like first several thousands of customers were all paying small amounts, anywhere from 50, 100, $200 a month, that kind of thing. So what we wanted to do was build out the educational process. So we really ramped up educational webinars, tons of content writing. Uh, we wrote a very large FAQ section, a knowledge base, and what ended up happening is Google actually indexed some of our knowledge-based questions because they were so deep. So that's the kind of thing, thing that I would strongly recommend. And in fact, um, back then when I was building these ones out, there was not a lot of data on search engine optimization. So you, you just really relied on whatever Google presented you in terms of how, what your potential uh, uh, search volume would be. There's a lot of tools right now that you can use significantly cheaper, like $100, $200 a month tools they'll tell you what people are searching on. And so when you're looking to expand into your market, think of creating what I call educational content clusters. So uh, when you start doing that, you're really answering questions about problems that people are solving. And you put these into buckets. And so you've got top of the funnel buckets, like what is whatever your topic is about. And then Toward the bottom of the funnel, you've got like comparisons. How do we compare to this product? Uh, would you like to download a sample RFP before you buy? What questions should you ask your vendor? Those are bottom of the funnel questions. And so what you want to do is create this really big library at top of the funnel, maybe in the middle of the funnel questions. And then when people get to your website, your page uh, to download that, uh, you know, if you can capture their email by offering a white paper, a guide or something, and then send something that's later on down the funnel. And if they click on it, if they react to it, you know that in their buyer journey, they're actually farther along than the top of the funnel lead that they initially came out to be. So if you send them something about, hey, would you like to download a sample RFP so that you can help craft the exact thing you need to ask for before you buy software like ours, if they download that, give them a call. They're ready to buy or they're close to it, right? So you can help them craft the RFP. And there's actually a question I use when I call them up. I mean, I didn't always call them. I trained my team to do it question is this, what sparked your interest in reaching out to us? It is such a soft question because you're not, you're not like selling them. You're just, the word spark really, like when you, it's so visual, right? It's, it's, uh, it, it just like goes right to the heart of the imagination. Well, why did you want to talk to us in the first place? What sparked your interest 
in reaching out to us. And I just then stop talking and you listen. Wow, that was really good insight. And, and I really appreciate explaining the enterprise versus the small biz because I, I know majority of the time we always focus on small biz, right? You know, software. Uh, and then sometimes they don't know when to switch over to the enterprise because or vice versa, where they focus on the enterprise side of things and they don't build any good like clientele from the small business, right? Because yeah. that natural um, evolution of it. Uh, and then also I love the educational content clusters where you're giving so much value that naturally get them in your ecosystem. And it's like, wow, this is amazing. It's just like the goodwill concept. And when you give them so much value for free, naturally they feel guilty. And it's almost like, I want to buy, I want to add, I want to learn from you specifically because XYZ company never gave me that information for free. And so I would want to kind of talk about the enterprise versus small business here and loop back around to this because um, at what point, because at some point uh, in order to really scale, I do know that sometimes you understand the enterprise deals are worth 10, 15 times what the small businesses are. Yeah. However, though, the small businesses are their quantity, but sometimes the churn rate is horrible um, because obviously they, they use your product and they move on. Uh, and that's in just a, an array of uh, uh, um, uh, plenty of, of, of evidence there. So my question is, at what point does a company start saying, okay, you know what, we want to start transitioning to only the enterprise side of things? and um, or, or do you focus on both? Yeah, you know, it's it's in some cases hard to do both. So we we um, you you almost need to pick who you're gonna go after first. And so if it's the enterprise sale, you got to make sure you got enough cash because it's gonna be a long runway. This is not the kind of thing that people look at and are like, oop, here's my credit card, I'm gonna buy it right now. Whereas on the small side, that's what they do. That's exactly how it works. Now that said, the educational marketing component it works in both cases. Um, so one thing I did in uh, when we were doing enterprise sales and. So these would be, we're trying to land $15,000, $25,000 as the minimum entry point, you know, and then, and then like higher level, um, usually like $50,000 accounts. What we did is uh, I was, uh, one of my companies was a data provider and we provided information on the general US population. Things like some contact information, but it was, it was uh, the company called Wealth Engine. We, we tried to create information about estimated giving capacity, if they're going to do donations, estimated net worth that someone's it's a financial institution trying to find who they should go after as clients. And so what we did is we created these reports called market potential reports. And all it really was, was we went into our own data, did a ton of searches that we thought people might want to find, such as, well, I live in the Washington DC metropolitan area. How many millionaires are there that are worth over $5 million who have more than one kid that is under 18 who also own multiple houses? That's something that financial institutions want to know because that's a market they want to go after. They want to find people who are, there's going to be potential for generational wealth and things like that. So we created this report. It was basically a PowerPoint slide deck. It's about 30, 40 pages long and uh, printed it out because we could send it by email. But we also printed it out to do something what I call is the thud factor. The thud factor is this. So Christian, Christian, if I sent you something in the FedEx envelope and it was big, it was thick, you're going to open it. You're just going to be, it's too tempting, right? It's like gift. You open it. And if you put it on your desk, it's going to sound like this thud. Okay. That's the thud factor. It's heavy enough. It's not like a sheet of paper. That's a one like tiny little, little flyer. It's something that you look at because it looks like something that, you know, Gartner put out or something. It's a big detailed report. We gave this to our sales team to start using to schedule meetings. Hey, calling up a prospect and say, would you like this market potential report? It's normally $1,000. I've got a couple of copies I'm allowed to give for free and then give them for free. 
Well, what happened was I did it only for New York and LA. I gave it to my sales team. Within one week, they came back and said, can you make it for these 14 additional markets? Because it was working so well in generating meetings. So the way you approach marketing from an enterprise scale is very different. This is not something we could have done for a small business. We just, I mean, it'd be too expensive to mail that out, have sales teams call up people like that. So for that, you need to have a completely different strategy. It's much more automated, much more uh, self-service. You wanna get people into your system and you've really got a pool of customer support people that will help support a large number of folks. So from that webinars, those were really effective. Um, and also these uh, trend reports, but not focused on one specific area. So to that end, uh, if you'll allow me to continue a little bit more on the story. So for my small business market in, in uh, my email marketing software company called Mailer Mailer, we had access, we were sending about, I don't know, maybe a billion and a half emails a year on behalf of our clients. And so as one day I just said to my engineers, like, we know so much about this. Can't we just like put this in some sort of aggregate report? So we noodled on that for a little bit. And we figured out, well, this is the best day of the week to send. This is the best time of day and so on, best subject lines. And we put that into a report. We call it the email marketing metrics report. We released it into the wild. It fast became the number one email marketing metrics report on the internet, period. So I would have the direct marketing association, all these other organizations reaching out to us. Hey, can we reprint a copy of some of your charts in our fact book, in our this guide, in our that guide? That started to really generate a lot of interest. We were getting three to 400 leads per day coming to our site just because they read about this trends report. And I mean, I was getting called from Toyota, DuPont. So, hey, tell us more about what you've got. We're getting published in different publications, magazines, left and right. That really drove a lot. So that way, that's how we could take the concept of these reports and scale it to a a low level sale versus a high level sale. So I kind of described it as two different approaches of using trends report, but at the end of the day, trends data is what will drive more interest in your business. Beautiful. Wow, those are remarkable techniques. And I uh, just appreciate unpacking that and really diving deep into that. Um, you know, and, and, and listeners, I really just want to share here because we do have to carry on to this next topic here, which I'm really excited about. But you know, he obviously, Raj has got incredible immense stuff and I will keep the links down here in the description below so you can just get in his ecosystem. Uh, but I would love to kind of pivot here real quick to kind of what you're really passionate about now. Uh, you've had incredible successes in these software companies. You've had three incredible exits as well. And now your passion right now is 250 entrepreneurs becoming millionaires, helping them that are, you know, uh, within five years of starting their business. And so I think that's an audacious goal and definitely with your skills and, and abilities, obviously you're able to do that, but kind of help me understand a little bit of like the morebusiness.com. At what point did you start kind of, um, you know, what, where was the motivation come from and where did you start saying, okay, it's not about like, you know, scaling a business, but now it's helping scaling people's lives. You know, uh, so you get to the stage where you're trying to figure out, well, what kind of impact can I have? Right. And it's not just about making money. It's about improving Who's around you? What's around you? It's improving, you know, your community. And so for me, what I really enjoy doing uh, is talking to other entrepreneurs and helping them identify ways to scale their business, how to get started. So some of the things that are now um, instinctive uh, to me, which were not, I mean, I was a trained engineer, man. I was like, I, I went to school with all my fellow nerds and we, you know, we were really good at engineering and math and all that kind of stuff. No soft skills whatsoever until you get out in the work, work, workforce and realize how important those skills are. 
Uh, and so uh, what I want to do is just provide a platform for people. Uh, so I've got, you know, our, the site I've got is called morebusiness.com and it is completely free. Uh, almost everything is free on the site for people to go to. And I've got webinars, I've got uh, a podcast right on there as well about leadership uh, to help people scale their companies. Uh, so my goal is to get people interested in the information and just use it and apply it to actually grow their business. I am going to be introducing a few things that are uh, fairly low cost, like some SEO training courses that are very specific to niche, niche markets. Um, but uh, for the most part, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a goal that I've got. I think I would love to put that back into the community uh, and put those strong vibes back into the universe, you know, to help other people achieve uh, uh, success too. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so like kind of help me understand what, because a lot of people that are in the six and seven figure, that's who, who's listening, but also that's who reaches out to your, 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 your website there. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're working with a lot of companies and just having conversations, just like you do now with, with a lot of your audience, what have you discovered? Cause everybody talks about something different, but what have you discovered? Like one or two things that most of them struggle with, like the, the consistent thing that you're hearing. Thing that I, I hear uh, everybody wants to know, like, how do I get more clients? And so that is by far the number one concern everybody really has. You know, so like on the website, I've got a ton of sample business plans. Uh, uh, one of the top marketing plans uh, on the internet. Like if you actually typed in marketing plan example on Google, I think we're on page one. Uh, so there's lots of different types of business plans on there. So you can download those for free. Uh, and then just, you know, use them and apply them to your own business. So getting clients is the, is the biggest thing that I think is a challenge. So here's what I actually recommend, and I'm putting together some more content around this again, like free stuff, but let me just share with you how, uh, how you can think through creating this educational content. So as we talked about earlier, how do you apply um, the ability to scale your business, especially if you've got low cost stuff, as well as to create educational material to land and expand into enterprise accounts, right? You want to land in, you got a $5,000 account. How do you turn that into 50,000? So it's all about education. So let me walk through how I recommend creating educational content really fast. If I asked any one of my team members to write a blog, I would be waiting weeks, maybe months. It is just painful. Oh God, Raj wants a blog. Oh my God, <laughs> it's gonna take forever to do this. So what we wanna do is make this process easier. Most people are comfortable with conversations. If I went to one of my team members who is a subject matter expert, or if I went to one of my clients, also perhaps a subject matter expert, and I said, hey, I would love to talk with you about top, a topic on you know whatever, like how to retain customers. If I came up with specific questions to ask that I used my data tools, <clears throat> excuse me, data tools from search engine optimization to figure out what keywords would be relevant. What I could do is have a conversation and make sure I mention those terms in the conversation. So the conversation naturally includes search engine optimization terms. And let's say we have a conversation for about 20, 25 minutes <clears throat> and I've broken it down at four or five topics. So if I've done that, I've got a handful of different keywords that are in that conversation. Next step. I've recorded the conversation, so now I've got a webinar. I could like find snippets, clips, things like that that I can post out to social, one-minute things, uh, sound bites. I can then transcribe this. Once I've transcribed it, I've got about a 3,000-word article, roughly. Uh, have it polished through either writing it yourself, maybe getting a professional writer. There's writing writing companies you can hire to just polish up content. Uh, and then you've got like probably four different pieces of content. So then you take those four different topics that you've got all more or less optimized for specific keywords because you use those keywords in your conversation. 
and you post them up as blogs and those become a content cluster about one specific topic. So inside one of the blogs, which may be a thousand, 1200 words long, you say, hey, if you like this blog, you'll love our guide on whatever the rest of the topics were. And so that 3000 words actually is converted into a PDF, becomes a downloadable guide on each of your four blogs in the content cluster. And as that starts to get indexed, you start to generate qualified leads. And so that's one of the most uh, cost-effective, efficient, long-lasting processes. There's others, right? If you've got the marketing uh, budget to, to do PPC advertising and so on, those are also effective. Those will get you more leads faster because the other process I just described takes a little bit longer time, but that process got so much traction. And then when you get people into your, into your ecosystem, when you're sending them newsletters, they're not all going to want to buy at once. Christian, I can tell you regularly, I would hear this all the time. Someone would sign up for my newsletter after attending a webinar and I would never hear, I wouldn't even, even know they're on my newsletter. Two years go by, I get a phone call. Raj, I've been on your newsletter for two years. I am ready to sign up. What do I do? This happened all the time, <laughs> all the time. It blew me away. I mean, like just every, I'd love those conversations. <laughs> hey, tell me, how'd you find out about us? I don't know. I'm on your newsletter, you know? And it's because they attended a webinar. That's how you got on my newsletter. <laughs> so it was, it was, it's something. It works. It works. Just the educational marketing it is one of the most underrated ways to, to grow your business and scale it and make it sustainable. Well, see, what I find so interesting, like you're saying there, is I think in today's marketing world, we're seeing a lot of gunshot approach where it's just, hey, you know what, I'm going to spray my market out because you know, let's be honest, from some influencers we hear, it's about quantity, right? It's a quantity game. Just push out, push out, use these things, just go, go, go. Uh, and it really doesn't matter. Some stick, some don't. But the reality, what you're saying is being very strategic with it, being sniper-like. Uh, because, you know, you could shove it out, and but it hits the wrong audience. And that's one of the reasons why you see some companies, It's it, it, there's a lot that goes into it, but it's like, the right, the right client hears the right offer at the right time, right? We've, we've heard that. But in order to do that, there's a lot of strategy and tactics that go into it. And that's a very, very strong tactic. Now, like you mentioned also, and I want to kind of footstop on this, the trajectory takes a little longer, right? However, though, it's, it's like you said, they're already quality individuals and the conversion rate on the back is way better because they've already warmed, you, warmed up to you. They know, like, and trust you. They've been in your ecosystem for a while. They've consumed... And just like what we were just talking about, the goodwill concept, oh, wow, you've given me so much. And like you even said, you're basically leveraging the same structure of what you do with these software companies, these same things you learn and said, hey, I'm just going to add value so much to mm -hmm. my audience. Um, and, and I'm never really asking for anything crazy or anything like that. Um, now, tell me as well, and I really appreciate unpacking this, with the SEO side of, world, uh, side of things, um, I think so many people, it's, it's like, Oh, I want to scale. I want to grow. I want to build my business huge. And it's like, it's cool. It's sexy. It's fun to say, right? Um, however, though, I think a lot of companies or a lot of business owners, they don't know what to focus on. So for me, for example, I remember I scaled my business to eight figures and I had an exit strategy. That was only really through one or two acquisition channels. That was it. I had, and, and then mainly was through paid acquisition and on the back end was a lot of referral system that we really implemented really strongly because obviously we're able to produce good results. Those were really the two main acquisition channels. I did not focus a lot of SEO, organic, podcasting, partnerships, collaborations. Now I'm starting to do so, but it's just interesting. So I guess my point is, is for a company that's at like 
seven figures, like one, two, three million dollars. Okay, mm-hmm. they have they have one acquisition channel. At what point did they start saying, okay, I'm going to go ahead and add another one? And I'm totally not saying like, hey, I got YouTube ads and Facebook ads. No, I'm talking about like, hey, these are paid acquisition channels. Now I should start implementing SEO or I have SEO strategy. I've been doing pretty well. I've got some cool stuff. At what point should they start focusing on another acquisition channel on the front end? And then as well as um, implementing those those lifetime value kind of structures. Yeah, I think one thing you got to think about is like, what's the bandwidth you've got? And, and what, what does your team have? Because if they're spending all their time spinning their cycles on that one channel, you're going to need to add staff to really explore into something deeper. Because otherwise, what will happen is like, if you ask them to do something else, uh, they're going to do nothing really well, because the, you know, they're like, not only focused a fraction of their time on something that was already working for you. Um, one channel that we used very effectively was partnerships. And so we'd go out and find organizations, companies that have already reached the market we wanted to. We're already selling their products and services to that market. And we did not compete with them. We complimented them. In fact, complimented them so much that we could show them if, if your customers used our product, they would buy more of your product. So that's kind of like magic to a partner manager's ears, you know? So we'd go out there and score all these relationships with people and did joint webinars with them. So suddenly, you know, I, had, I remember the, like one of our new product lines that we launched, um, it, was, it was specifically email marketing, content marketing, just for IT services companies. And so, you know, w- what I wanted to figure out was like, well, how do I reach just IT service companies? Well, there's a whole bunch of companies who sell to that market right now. So I went to them and I said, look, if, they use, if your customers used our marketing strategies, marketing components and so on, they'll buy more of your products. They'll be able to sell more of your products. That's exactly what happened. We started doing joint webinars. I built my list of prospects from, I think it went from about like 150 people to about 7,000 within, I think one or two years, really quickly. And these are all qualified people who had watched a webinar of mine. So this isn't like just random people like downloading stuff. They actually spent, and half an hour, hour watching a webinar and then got onto the list. So we were able to scale really quickly. That ended up becoming like 20% of our business in a matter of a couple of years. So it was the, so partnerships is another thing. But it was we could do that because we had res- a dedicated resource to applying that strategy. And that's when we went, we went and did it. So I love it. Love it. That's incredible. That's incredible. And so tell me a little bit about like, um, you know, you have incredible amount of content on here. Okay. Um, yeah. Unpack like, where should these these individuals struggle? Because obviously everybody's at their own like little different level. And what I've dis- what I've discovered working with a lot of um, companies that are at six and seven figures, some of them they think they're at oh I need more acquisition, but in reality it's more of hey I need to figure out fulfillment and systems because our churn rate sucks, right? Like there's certain things like I think we need this, but in the reality after getting a better perspective and a coach, it's more like hey I need this and I need to focus on this aspect of the business. So when they're looking at your website, there's so much going on. What should they focus on first? Yeah, I know. We've got almost 4,000 articles on there. And and funny story, Christian, actually, you know, the way this site started uh, it was a long time ago, I actually wanted to do website development. That was actually one of my first businesses. Like, well, we'll create websites for you. This was back in the 90s when people didn't, there weren't all these automated tools to create websites. I don't think WordPress was even around back then. So we created this site to show people, hey, here's what we could do for you. Here's an example of a website. So I got a call one day and it was from... Um, it was from IBM's ad agency. And they were saying, hey, can we buy an ad on your website? I'm like, well, actually, and I'm thinking in my head, this was just a site as a sample example of what, sure, you can buy an ad. And they're like, okay, how much? And I said, well, I don't know, $250. And they said, okay, send over an insertion order. 
So I said, sure, no thing. I hang up the phone and I look at my partner. I was like, do you know what insertion order is? I don't even know what that is. So we're looking this up, figuring out, oh, that's an ad contract. We go in and like send that out. Two weeks later, I get a call from Fidelity. Three weeks later, I get a call from Adobe. All these people started wanting to advertise on the site was supposed to be an example of like how we can do web development work. So we ended up converting the site into just like a content site that we started adding a lot more articles on. I'd written a lot of the initial set of content, but then a lot of other writers started contributing and so on. So now it is 4,000 some articles um, on all kinds of topics, mostly marketing related. Most of it is marketing related. So uh, that's what our primary focus is on. But honestly, you go to morebusiness.com and just like there's a search bar, you can just type in something and find out more information. Uh, I've got a, a regular series of webinars we're starting. I think one thing that, that people might find really useful is the webinar we have on storytelling. It's actually, it's live now. It's like an automated webinar. They can just go click, but it's the art of telling a business story that's gonna sell your stuff no matter what you're selling. And I use multiple examples in there. I show you how to create uh, the plot, who are the characters in your story, and then provide multiple examples of selling really boring stuff. Selling IT services sounds really boring, really, but I you make it exciting. And so uh, like in selling data, actually I talk about data a hint in the actual stories and we talk about the impact of the data, about how the data changed human lives. And that's what people wanna hear. So I explain all of that in this webinar and it's, it's really fun to watch and listen and you can actually go toward the end. I show exactly uh, the questions to ask your existing customers so that you can extract stories from them to use with uh, your prospects. So that's, that's another thing that we've got on but again, the goal is, look, I, mean, I want 250 people within five years of them starting their business to really become millionaires. I think that would be just, that would just be fabulous. So, yeah. Awesome, man. This is incredible. Uh, I'm so glad we had you on, man. And just unpacking like your, your three successful companies that you've scaled is definitely in the software world. Uh, I, we, I've taken notes over here and just uh, gathering so many lessons from you that you've learned and obviously implementing in my own structure and business. And like you said, it's it's really scaling the unscalable, being relational and having those conversations, asking the right questions and gathering the right data and analyzing the data correctly and implementing the right plan, which is awesome. And then of course, just talking a little bit about like your mission and vision uh, with the impact that you're making in these people's lives, giving them free value at a, um, at a high caliber content that's out there it's not just some sort of hey how to make money online no it's it's legit like deep intense stuff and that's why i want to have you on for our audience um raj how can our audience reach out to you i know they can go to morebusiness.com but um your linkedin account and things like that yeah actually those are the best ways um in fact if you go to my linkedin I'm, if you type in raj kara on google I'm going to be the first one that comes up. And in fact, I think my LinkedIn profile is the first thing that comes up. Just go to the profile, click on the bell. Uh, I post videos regularly, content regularly about how to market your business. So that's probably the, the easiest way. But I'd also recommend checking out morebusiness.com because the whole site, the idea behind the site is to help entrepreneurs really build their companies and scale it uh, so that they can have um, very rewarding and fulfilling lives. Uh, so, so take a look at that. Um, subscribe to the podcast, which I just started. And I got to tell you, Christian, I'm going to learn a lot from just watching you with your very successful podcast. I want to thank you so much for having me on. Uh, and so if someone's interested on the podcast that I've got, I just did one about leading with heart with a friend of mine about how you really can uh, apply empathy and coaching to accelerate your team's productivity uh, and also make them lead very fulfilling lives. Very important. 
So uh, awesome guys. And those guys links, those links will be in the description below. So make sure you stop what you're doing, click on that and just be in his ecosystem and just learn and gather and connect uh, and, and just consume his content. Because like he, like uh, Raj, you were saying, you have 4,000 um, pieces of content of immense, immense value. Um, and so also I always love to ask, my guest before we let you go again just appreciate the mince pie that you brought today and to our audience um is there any last words of wisdom they'd like to share with our audience yeah share the love share the love everything you know just share it and a lot of people especially consulting companies consultants i used to have this one guy he would be so reserved with his comments because boy if he told you something and he didn't get paid for it ah oh, man he felt bad i'm like dude what are you doing man just share your love people will know that you're the expert and just share it so usually when people have conversations with me i just give them a free consultation if that's you know that the, i don't do a lot of free consultations i'd be too busy i get so many requests every day but i really i, I encourage people to just share the love that's really what uh, i think it's all about and I, I see you doing that christian so i really appreciate what you're doing out there for the the hundreds of thousands of entrepreneurs that are uh, downloading your content really good stuff yeah, and I really appreciate that as well. And guys, that is my friend, the one and only Raj Kara. Guys, that is Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. Until next time, be uncommon if you can. Yo, this is Christian D. Evans, Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. We thank you so much for listening to this amazing episode. If you feel and you know that this was valuable to you, please show some love to our amazing guest by liking this, by commenting on this, by making sure that you do a nice five-star review and just show some love to our guest. That would be really awesome. Also, make sure you share this with a friend, a family, a colleague, someone that you believe would bring value to their life right now. Uh, and guys, we just want to say thank you again for just being part of our community. If you want to have more resources, don't be afraid. Go to christiandevans.com. You can actually schedule a phone call with me or you can send me an email at christian.evans at beuncommonifyoucan.com. That's christian.evans at beuncommonifyoucan.com. Always love to hear some feedback and let me know what is the number one or two things that you are struggling in your business and your life and we'll make sure we have those conversations. Guys, that is Journey with Christian Davis podcast. And until next time, remember, be uncommon if you can. Cheers.